Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Steve Banks, a local artist whose current exhibition, Construct, Distract, is on display at the Breskin Gallery and Art Academy in Bettendorf. Welcome, Steve. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, in this collection, you present paintings in ceramic structures which incorporate architectural and industrial images, hinting at what's beneath the surface veneer of our world. Mm-hmm. What, ins- what inspired you to create this? A lot of things. We could fill the time almost just with uh, influences and inspirations. But, um, gosh, back in 1995 was the first time I went to Italy. And that was really the first time I was around old stuff, like the ancient walls of Rome being 2,000-some years old, and seeing all these different layers of history where the wall had been rebuilt in places and posters had been stuck on there and worn off and other generations of information being added and taken away and was just blown away by how rich of a texture and what a sense of history you get for that. We really don't have that here in America, but in particular in Iowa, we don't have 2,000-year-old things that we walk by every day. Um, And also going to um, a place called Paestum, which is uh, outside of Naples, and uh, getting to walk in an old Greek temple. And the first time I went there, we actually were able to walk inside the temple. Um, I was able to walk places that citizens could not go, only priests could go. And then when I was back there two years later, somebody had wised up and put fencing around it so all these tourists weren't just swarming this structure. But it was it was probably the closest I've ever been to anything that struck me as like a religious experience. And I don't know how to describe that in better terms, but just having a connection to something that was larger than me, I had there. And I still I, I find it interesting in our country to go to some of our ruins like if you're traveling on the interstate and you see like an old gas station where there's just the sign and maybe the foundation or you know something like that and sort of the compare and contrast between these really 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 old things and our really really old thing being well it was a gas station 30 years ago I'm like well this was a temple 2000 years ago there you know there's a difference but there's also sort of a similarity so a lot of my work even outside of the show has a like a pop culture uh, flavor to it. And so this particular show, I just kind of ramped up the architectural stuff and sort of subdued the pop culture cartoonish kinds of things. Well, some of your painted construction pieces are, are very large works. One is over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. But then you've also created a series of sm- smaller ceramic sculptures, which are displayed within these mounted boxes that are on the wall. And some of the boxes are very elaborate as well. And mm-hmm. And I'd like to talk about a pair of paintings uh, entitled Crossing Over and Backyard Stroll first. Okay. There, there are a lot of architectural images in these. But what's interesting is that many of the buildings are from downtown Davenport. And I, I didn't yes. recognize that when I initially viewed the pieces. Well, and that, uh, a friend of mine who saw the show actually commented on the fact that I used those uh, structures. One is the uh, U.S. Bank building right next to the Figgy. Uh, another building is the Clock Tower on the... The, what would it be the downriver end of Arsenal Island, and then there's also that structure when you're actually crossing over from Illinois into Iowa as part of the lock and dam structure that I put in there that 
we don't recognize what they are on a conscious level, but on a subconscious level, your brain's like, I've kind of seen that before. And so you make this connection with it, but I've also modified the building somewhat, like the back to the U.S. Bank building. I removed half of it so it would fit on the piece. So it's not quite that, but it still hints at that. And so you get this almost involuntary connection to it because you have seen this. Um, and so that kind of helps put you into the piece. But then a lot of the other parts of the piece are fantasy constructions of, of mine. Then they can be either like an underworld or a call and response to what's going on on the top. There's more like uh, fanciful billboard sorts of things and just more of my imagination versus things that were inspired by being in the real world. Mm-hmm. There is this mixture between orientation, like you said, recognizing something familiar, but disorientation because your architectural and ceramic assemblages all tilt very precariously, Mm -hmm. which makes the viewer wonder, you know, does balance and order really exist or is it an illusion? Well, you've been around for the last 500 days. (laughs) (laughs) Is balance and order an actual thing or is it an illusion or is it a constant give and take between like order and chaos? And we we try to organize things, but then there's other forces that try to um, unleash chaos or are just chaotic. They might not be trying to actually undo things but just by their nature um do that and there's also just sort of a a basic rule in art that diagonals and asymmetry is more interesting than something that's symmetrical and just straight perpendicular (laughs) horizontal vertical yeah it it, Um, it is very interesting so i I say that just so you don't give me so much credit for like wow these are (laughs) well anything that's in the process of falling is pretty interesting whether (laughs) i made it or not like wow that building's coming down i think i'm gonna watch this Uh kind of thing well, the title of your show is also interesting. The, the words construct mm-hmm. and construct, as in social construct, are, yeah. you know, they're spelled the same, but they're pronounced differently, and then they have very different meanings. So w- was yes. that intentional? Yes, very much so. I um, like, in my pieces, sometimes I'll put words or word fragments, um, and I like when you can sort of cultivate an ambiguity between things. Um, and I will use misspelling sometimes if I actually spell the word so I don't pin the meaning one way or the other. So let's, for example, take the word raise. It could be like to increase, R-A-I-S-E, or it could be to raise, R-A-Z-E, like shave down to the ground or destroy. Um, if I wanted to leave you wondering which one it is, I would probably spell it like R-A-Y-Z or R-A-Y-Z-E, so you're like, you can say it and you hear it, but I haven't told you that it's either to grow something or to destroy something. You have to kind of decide that for yourself. And so for the show, um, that's why I went with the construct or construct, uh, because hopefully there's just that pause of, I wonder which one it is. Um, To give an example in pop culture that I think about a lot, the, uh, the song from the Smiths, How Soon Is Now, the line... Um, I am the sun, I am the air. It's 90% likely to be S-O-N-H-E-I-R, if I'm spelling that right, Um, as in I am the offspring and I am the inheritor of this. But it also could be S-U-N and A-I-R. And I've never bothered to look up the lyrics because I like the fact that it can be both of those things simultaneously. Um, and so where I can do that, if it's appropriate, I like to sort of cultivate that, not pin it down to leave it more open. Mm-hmm. 
You've mentioned pop culture several times mm-hmm. so far, and some of the works on display do incorporate pop culture images, but they're hidden. They're kind mm-hmm. of layered. You can see just parts of them, perhaps in the painting or in some of the sculptures within the boxes that you've created. You've either carved or engraved pop culture images into the back of the boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your intentions with these images? Uh, going back to like the walls in Rome, that was um, what I was saying. I like to build up those layers, and there's just little bits that peek through that end up becoming a different gestalt image than any any one thing that was originally put up there. You might have 10 generations of movie posters, let's say, and none of them are intact. And so what you finally get to look at is this weird collage of time, essentially. So um, that's one of one of the influences that's kind of on the back burner that frequently contributes to what I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. The ceramic works you create you created also tower upwards and, and are composed of very industrial looking forms. And some of these are entitled mile marker, like mm-hmm. mile marker 175 or mile marker 12. Do the actual mile markers have a particular significance to you? And why did you title them in this way? Oh, they do. Um, Cause it's a, uh like a like a road trip and there's different like stops you could take and so we have the the shorthand for that's a mile marker hey if you want to get off and see this you have to take mile marker 198 and whatever um so for the numbers those are actually highways that i've traveled on somewhere in the united states so for instance i've got one piece that's uh called uh mile marker 121, the road to Paris. Well, when I lived down in Texas, there was a short period of time where one of my two best friends since 1985 lived in Paris, Texas. And from where I lived in Denton, we went um, east a little bit on 380, and then you hit 121, you took 121 up to Paris, Texas. And so a lot of those are just reminders to me, but for other people, it's way more interesting to have that than to just have untitled number one, untitled number two. That That's just one step above being meaningless as a, as a title for a piece. So they're, they relate to some something that I have seen or I know. Um, I don't expect people that are looking at them. I don't th- Everybody looking at that one's not going, oh, 121, I know that highway. I've been to Paris, Texas. There's not a really compelling reason why you would go to Paris, Texas. So I don't know that people would get uh-huh. that part. But that's, that's where the titles come from. Yeah, and it does give you the sense of, of a journey, that you're on a journey when you're looking at these, at these pieces. Uh, there's another large painting called uh, Cairn Number 3. Mm-hmm. And hidden, like, layered beneath the paint um you can see like parts of an abandoned billboard and 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 a sign for a gas station and there's some words that you that are just indecipherable but mm-hmm. but you can tell that there's there's more there so you definitely yeah. feel like you're you're traveling somewhere trying to figure out exactly where you're heading mm-hmm. yeah and that that is uh i won't say it's the earliest piece in the show but it's one of the earlier ones and I was moving towards kind of monochromatic, but I didn't want them to be totally flat, and I still wanted some of that information there because it it does change the surface when you've got that going on. And um, the expression, I, I've heard it with, uh, was it Red Letter Media? They talk frequently about, you might not have noticed, but your brain noticed. And I like to make some things there that you're like, oh, wait, I think there's a little little bit more going on here. Mm-hmm. But it's you can't quite articulate it, or you can't fully make out, is that a 
slice of pizza? Is that what's going on? <laughs> kind of thing. But it's not just a flat, blank surface. Mm-hmm. I was also struck by your painting, Ledges Balance, that you know what we see in our everyday lives is really just the surface mm-hmm. of the world that we are unaware of what's below and beneath the spaces that we inhabit. And, and it's also the most vividly colored yeah, it's uh, one of the few the that's mm-hmm. really Yeah, they're color. reds, yeah. pinks, there's this lime green in the center, and it's it really contrasts with the more natural earth tones of your other pieces. So when do you decide to use color, and how does it change the message that you're trying to express? Wow, you've asked a far deeper question than I actually I operate in. Um, a lot of times what I do is based on mood that day in the studio. Like, oh, this would be interesting to do, or, oh, I can really picture... This needs to be like a reddish brown in the background contrasted with like a a bright kind of cool white color or something like that. Um, But as far as like a deep master plan, yeah, you might need a different artist for that question. (laughs) Because like I said, a lot of it is just what strikes me that day. And so I, in my studio, I actually right now I probably have 20 different things going on. And that might be a conservative estimate. And when I get to the studio, what I feel like working on is what I work on, because that's what has my interest that day. It's not a very effective business model, um, you know, because sometimes it takes years to complete a piece. And if you're trying to get stuff out and get it sold or get it seen, like, well, I don't know if this is going to take another year or another three years. Um, It hasn't struck me as something to work on. But the color, you know, seeing that piece against mm-hmm. the more monochromatic um, paintings that you have there, too, which I, I think you told me were basically primed. Yes. It gives you a sense of the of the steps that you have to take, like the process of you creating your art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, you mentioned the ones that are primed. There's actually three in there. I should go ahead and talk about it. Um, I actually took a road trip with uh, my buddy Dean Kugler yesterday up to Chicago and... Uh, Basically, all my pieces start out as some sort of flat monochromatic relief kind of thing. And then somewhere in there, I'll start thinking about some base colors to lay down and maybe some imagery or something like that. Dean happened to be visiting the studio one day when I had just had basically everything in place for crossing over. And was, whoa, you got you to leave that like that. You can't know. You're, and actually, there were some threats of physical violence, but, you know, it's all good natured with him. Uh, and so I made him a deal. I'm like, well, I tell you what, I'm thinking about making three of these. I won't paint any of them past the, the prime stage till I get them all done. So this show, part of this show is the fulfillment of that agreement with Dean, which, you know, once the show comes down, I, I feel that that promise has been kept. And, <laughs> the, you know, I, at that point, may work on them. I do not, today, as we are taping this, have plans for what those colors will be or anything like uh-huh. that. So it's not going to be like I immediately dive in, but I certainly reserve the right that if I come in on a Tuesday, I'm like, oh, hot pink, then boom, those will start getting painted. Yeah. Um, but that's um, to go into some of my other stuff, because uh, Bruce Carter and I would have this discussion multiple times when I was on Art Talks about when a piece is finished and when you've got uh, something done that you should leave it alone and go on to another one. And I would disagree with them. I'm like, as long as this is in my possession... If I want to work on it, I'm going to work on it. I don't owe the piece anything. The piece owes me, if anything. And um, so there'll be something that I sort of, I, like I think it's done in 2010. And then in 2014, I walk by that piece and I'm like, 
that needs a lime green here and a, a skull face here and you know some other thing and i'll just go back into working on it and so i have some pieces not intentionally but that have taken 10 15 20 years to get to where they are because there'll be other layers added at some other point mm-hmm. um and so these will ultimately end up being like that if they hang around in the studio long enough stuff will happen to them well i think you know even if you're not an artist you've you've experienced that before where sometimes you just have to sit with something until you truly understand like where it belongs and and um and how you're going to use it well and i even tell people um for me i feel that sometimes i haven't experienced what i need to experience or i haven't learned that thing yet that i need to learn to take that piece further. I knew all that I knew in 2013 to take it as far as I could, but I had to do something stupid or something smart or something fun in 2016, then think about it in 2017. So then in 2018, when I looked at that piece that I thought was done in 2013, go, oh, this is what needs to happen. Um, and that also to me is very liberating when you get stuck on something like, oh, I just don't know what I need to know yet to go do maybe i need to watch a movie maybe i need to read a book maybe i need to take a walk there's some something that i haven't done or experienced yet that is preventing me from doing that and the thing that won't solve it for me is sitting there and really thinking about what i'm going to do because that i've tried that before and the results are disastrous um if you for me if you really 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 have to think about the solution then the solution's not there yet there's a very funny story about how this show came about. It was it was interrupted by the pandemic and the temporary <laughs> shutdown of Black Hawk College. You and I might have different definitions of funny, but yeah, okay. <laughs> well, tell us what happened. Okay, so I had started making the ceramic works back in January of 2020 and had, gosh, like right around 20 of them. And at this point it's like March and I'm starting to glaze some of the pieces. And I even remember there was one day I was glazing them and I, I don't enjoy glazing the process. I find very boring. The results are nice, but the process is boring. I would rather glaze than file my taxes, but it's still in that realm of things that I put off till the last minute to try to do. So anyway, I was in the middle of glazing this piece and I'm just like, I'll come back and get it tomorrow. Well, I got a text message that night. Hey, campus is closed down. We're shutting down. It's a lockdown. Um, we don't know when we're going to open again. And okay, I, you know, I have no power over this situation. And um, I knew that they were going to be doing asbestos abatement in that building during the summertime. So I didn't even know if these pieces that I had just kind of left in the kiln room were even going to survive that process. I didn't know if they were removing floor tiles or pipe stuff or, you know, whatever. I didn't know. Um, and so ultimately, I just had to kind of mentally, emotionally walk away from the work because it might not be there. And so if I really held on to this as a precious thing and came back and there was just a pile of rubble, that, that would be tough. Uh, so I went ahead and started doing other things. And then I got a uh, phone call in mid to late October like, hey, we're not opening up, opening up, but basically you got about two weeks to get everything finished and get it out and then campus is way shutting down so i pushed pause on all of my projects and just spent like 10 days firing kilns glazing things doing all that so all the stuff i'd been postponing earlier in the year i had to like just dive in so is imagine filing your taxes every day for like two weeks it's that 
that level of enthusiasm. Um, got it done, got it out, and uh, then uh, Pat Bereskin stopped by my studio a couple months later to see what I was doing. She's kind of curious what I've been up to. Liked the pieces so much, she's like, we got to have a show for these. And then in pretty short order, because I want to say that visit, if I recall, was like late January, um, then the show opened the beginning of March. Yeah, so after that long pause, that that extended break where you weren't able to see your work your works at all yeah. then, then you then you were able to somehow come up with a show and, and come a, back to yeah, yeah it's in um, a matter of two months it helps though to be working all the time even though i'm not finishing stuff per se i'm in the studio basically every day um i have to either be on vacation or deathly ill not to be in my studio um and since I work in a fairly similar vein every time, you're not going to see like a straight up landscape painting from me. You'll see one that maybe has billboards and I play off of that, but like just a uninterrupted Bob Ross sort of landscape, I probably won't be doing that. And so there's a, a, a relationship between all the stuff I do. And so when a show pops up, it's not a Herculean task necessarily to bring these things to, to bear on a space. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your artistic background. Where did you do your training? Uh, graduated from Benton High School, so I have to give props to both uh, Karen Bloomy and Nick DeJoya, and also Donna Griffin. She was my uh, ceramics teacher there. And then uh, undergrad at uh, Northwest Missouri State University. Um, in fact, one of my, like my major professor, just by the dumbest of cool, dumb luck, he and his wife have now retired to Long Grove because their uh, oldest son and grandchildren live in Eldridge. So this guy that I studied under was my main mentor, was the guy who organized the trip that took me to Italy in 1995. And I've also, um, after I got my master's, filled in for him on a couple occasions while he was on sabbatical, um, is now in town. So earlier I mentioned to you in a phone interview that I have a small pool of people that I, I will give serious credence to what they say when they're like, hey, you need to ease off on the blue on that. Or he's one of one of the ones on the inside of the, the group there. Um, and then I immediately from undergrad went to graduate school, which is a thing I do not advise for artists to do. Um, and why is that? Because you might be ready skill-wise, and I was, but I was also 22. I was in school with people that were 28, 35, 40, so they've got all this life experience to draw from. I've just gone straight kindergarten through high school, through undergrad, and now I'm here. I'm like, well, what have you done? Well, I've gone to Italy once. Um, you know, that I just there's a bunch of stuff I hadn't seen, a bunch of places I hadn't done. And so all of a sudden, by age 24, I've got a terminal degree. There's no more schooling to do. I have to learn this stuff on my own. And so what I advise students is wait at least two years, but don't wait any more than five years. Go out and do things, get apprenticeships, get internships, um, travel around, go to shows, go to Chicago, go to New York. If you can find a way to get to Europe, go to Europe, see that stuff. You know, Stay in the field, but postpone that last little chunk of formal education because I, I felt like I was done too soon. It was weird to be and I'm using finger quotes, you can't see it on the radio, but uh, finger quotes, you know, to be a master by 24, it's, it's kind of laughable when you think about it. Where did you get your MFA, and, and what medium were you working in there? Uh, Florida State, down in Tallahassee, and one of the, there were two major reasons why I picked that program, well, three, three major reasons why I picked that program. One, they gave me the most financial support. Two, I was getting rid of winter. Um, I am just an 
absolute grumpy butt when it comes to wintertime and just the darkness, the cold, and all that. I wanted to be done with that. And three, they were not a media-specific program. So I didn't go there to study painting. I didn't go there to study ceramics. I went there to work on ideas. And the philosophy with that department is you use whatever media is necessary to execute your idea. So I went there thinking I was going to do um, primarily photography and take like pictures of people wearing masks and using masks and interacting with other people in social situations. And by the time my thesis show rolled around, there was a zero photographs in the thing whatsoever. I had both an installation and a performance for the final piece. There were some masks, um, but I had uh, cardboard structures and ceramics. And then I had people physically moving around in the space in masks, interacting with the, uh, the guests, I guess, the, the victims that came to our MFA show. Um, so to me, at that point, it was obvious that I was no longer a photographer. And I was off onto this other kind of mixed media journey. Mm-hmm. And it was a journey. Oh, still still ongoing. Yeah. And was it's been great. It really has. I've, I've enjoyed it. And um, it has, like I said, it's taken me to Italy, Sicily, Greece, and Turkey. Uh, back in 2015, uh, another one of the people in my inside circle, Terry Rathje. Uh, Terry Rathje and I got to go to uh, Suriname in South America and... Uh, do a collaborative art project with a group of, they would be like late junior high, early high school age kids and build a sculpture down there that stayed down there. The state department paid for us to do that. Um, And just it's, it's allowed me to do a lot of things and I enjoy almost all of my days. I wake up excited to go do stuff. I stay up late doing stuff. Um, My boss is an idiot because it's me, but uh, there are a lot of adults I know that tolerate their lives, but they aren't excited about what they do every day. Well, Steve, thank you so much for talking today. It was delightful. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. The exhibition Construct Distract by artist Steve Banks can be viewed at the Baruskin Gallery and Art Academy on State Street in Bettendorf. The show is up through April 30th, so stop in soon. Viewing hours and additional information can be obtained at bereskinartgallery.com. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. 